0: You yahoos listen up. This is Sailor Steve Costigan and you're listening to
1: the Cromcast. That's a podcast. I have no idea what that is, but you're listening to it. Greetings, fellow travelers of The Lost Road, and welcome to Season 4, Episode 2 of the Cromcast. We are your multi-headed hosting organism. I am John. I'm Luke.
2: And I'm Josh.
1: And we are proud to present to you an episode today that we think is fit for a king. King Cole, to be precise. We're diving into the Shadow Kingdom, the first Cole story, and the canonical Cole, written by Robert E. Howard. We're pretty pumped to meet a new Howardian hero. Yeah, that's right. Not just the first call story, but Mark
2: Finn, in his book Blood and Thunder, The Life and Art of Robert E. Howard, claims that this is the first sword and sorcery story.
0: Oh, really? Yeah.
2: I don't have the page. I don't, I don't have the verse and uh, the chapter and verse, <laughs> but it is Finn chapter something verse something. In
1: the book of Finn. Yes. <laughs> As incense rises from the table. That's right. But
2: I've also read contradictory statements that who was it that wrote uh sagnoth what is the name of that
1: story lord Dunsany's, the fortress the lost fortress unvanquishable yeah. save for sagnoth that's oh, right yeah. yeah
2: so i've heard that that is actually the first sword and sorcery story but i've never read that it sounds dreamy it does sound it dreamy. appeared
1: in 1910 yeah 1910 so it does feature a swordsman who invades a hellish dragon guarded stronghold
0: Wearing tight, tight pants.
1: Yeah, probably. Because
0: I see Dunsany as like the the hipster. If he was doing it like a couple of decades before everybody else, he was super cool. He was in. The, he was liking it before it was before it was hot.
2: I see him as more of a David Bowie man.
0: Maybe. Yeah. Glammed up.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Writing very, very sad, very deep, sort of sorcery Bowie. stories. Yeah, maybe I don't know.
1: This I is, but for yeah. Cole, we're gonna focus on. The up front, we're going to focus on the first two stories in the Cole sort of canon, right? We're g- and they're the Robert E. Howard stories,
0: or as as I think you you termed it, John, the canonical Cole. That's what we're yeah. talking about, right? Yeah, yeah.
2: So Shadow Kingdom, the Mirrors of Tuzas Thun.
0: Yeah, something to that effect. <laughs> and then there's there's one more, right? There is one more. The Kings and the night, But it comes much, much later
2: It's a crossover We haven't met the other character yet
0: Oh, I can't see what's up ahead
2: No, it's it's <laughs> dark and we're lost
0: <laughs> kind of turned into a pirate there <laughs> <yar. laughs>
2: <laughs> We could change it from The Lost Road to
1: We're on a boat <laughs> A nautical adventure <laughs> At any rate and A pineapple under the sea
0: <laughs> <laughs> Let's do the one thing
1: Luke, what's your one thing?
0: Man, I'm going rock and roll. My one thing is going to be the album by the the band Ghost, Melioria, uh, and it is The Bomb Diggity. So this is the third album by the band Ghost, and it's, I don't know, I, I don't want to be too hyperbolic, but really, this is my new favorite uh, album that's come out, definitely in, in, in quite quite some time. It's it's probably going to be my top metal album of the year. Uh, it's a little bit it's a little bit soft for some of the the extreme metal heads. They may not they may not may not agree with me in calling this metal, but it is sinister and beautiful and just all kinds of all kinds of fun. Pretty much from front to back, there's there's not a dud on this album. So I would I would encourage people if you're if you're into some occult rock, get some get some Ghost and check that third album out.
1: Metalheads are an open and accepting bunch, bunch in my experience.
0: They, but they get really hung up on their genres, man, and, That's and like true. The, the purity of metal, <laughs> like how 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 metal is your metal. Uh, and a lot of the people feel like the the ghost fellows are, or, or maybe they're maybe they're ladies. We really don't know. They are uh, sinister, but but dressed up in nameless ghouls. So we really don't know what's under those robes. What Josh, about you?
1: Tell me about your thing. Oh.
2: Okay. Uh, My One Thing is also a rock album that was released on the same day as Ghosts Melioria. And it is the new effort by The Sword called Hill Country. If you've listened to us uh, long enough or if you've gone back into the archives to check out the music episode, the Cone and the Barbarian music extravaganza that Luke programmed, you probably have heard about mine and Luke's... um, fanaticism is it fanaticism it's a it's a strong love it's a following (laughs) yeah (laughs) of the sword yeah so this new album dropped and I've been listening to it a lot since it came out last Friday and I dig it it's a lot more funky than their other stuff a, a lot less heavy but I don't think it's really more rhythmic it's, it's very, very strange. It's, it's very unsword for the sword.
0: And it seems a little bit, I mean, I've just heard like the three or four songs that have popped up like on Stereo Gum or, mm-hmm. or you know, they were releasing before the album came out. But it seems uh, that the, the songs are groovy for sure, but they're kind of spastic, right? They are. And the interesting
2: thing to me is that uh, I guess not that the sword introduces uh, synthesizers into this, but the extent to which there is synth. Nice And so there's a track called Seriously Mysterious And it's very synth-heavy, synth-laden, I would call it Awesome And, you know, it's funky, it's it's groovy, I, I dig it, it It's going to take some getting used to I wasn't as impressed with it as I was with uh, with Warp Riders That album really, right. I was really taken by that album So, you know, I'm going to give it a little while before I make any any final judgment calls on it so far, it's not my favorite album by the Sword, but it's still a strong effort. It's good rock, and you know if you like good rock, you'll like the Sword.
0: It's it's funny that you say that that album is, is synth heavy and has a lot of the keys coming through because on the new Ghost album, it's it's the same way. Like from the opening track, there's what's it called, like a theremin, where you sort of wave your hands and it makes like synthesizer sounds. Yeah. Like that's in the opening track, and then you just get uh, a very uh, orgiastic organ, like a church, like a sinister church vibe going on. And that's something that Ghost has done before, but but there's a lot of keys and synthesizer that sort of goes through the album and it sounds like they're sort of coalescing. I think that may be a thing. Like I, there's there's this, this rise in like 80s synth pop kind of thing that's, that's around too. And I think it's coming into the rock. I think you're right.
2: I think the sword has long been known to have sort of been carrying the torch of uh, early doom metal like Black Sabbath, yeah, yeah, and you know their sound is is almost like a wall, right? Whereas Ghost have all, always sort of had these layers, right?
0: Absolutely, it's, yeah,
2: yeah. It's absolutely more, I don't know, complicated at first. At first l- listen, not to take anything away from the sword because they rock, yeah, yeah. So, you know, some good rock came out last week, and Luke and I have been have have been digging into it. Also, honorable mention mentions: Motorhead, new oh, album. Yeah,
0: I heard that single. It's it's pretty jamming. It's, it's a Motorhead song. It's Motorhead, it's fun. Dude. Yeah. yeah,
2: and uh, there was a a new album by the band Pentagram that has oh, been okay. getting some good reviews. So, last week was
1: Didn't a good Iron week. Maiden
0: released something recently. Yeah, they may have. I don't. I'm not familiar, and
1: I may have to check that out. Yeah. So I, thought, I saw Becky Cloonan talking about it on the Twitters. So oh, nice. Okay.
2: Yeah, I I think so. But similarly, I I didn't check it out. Maybe. But I know we have listeners who dig both The Sword and Ghost. It doesn't matter which one you like better. Just that you like something and you're rocking to it.
0: Yeah, put your headphones on. Yeah. Okay, we've talked enough. John, one thing. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Uh, My one thing is a Netflix movie called Harmontown. Uh, I don't know if either of you watch Community. But Kara and I, my wife and I, we really like that show. It, if you haven't watched it, it's a sitcom that has suffered many deaths and many resurrections. And it's sort of this weird show. It came to us sort of at like the right point in life, I think, to really like it. It's sort of about misfits and being weird and on the outskirts of society and like figuring out how to make a family out of friends. I, I don't know how to put it. But we really like that show. And Dan Harmon, when he was fired, he started a podcast called Harmontown. Town and then made a documentary about his podcast and about a road version of the podcast that went on the road and did, did the show live in front of some audiences. And this movie, it's a documentary, it starts out sort of ostensibly like, oh, podcast, it's cool. Uh, it's Why is he doing it? This is how he's processing his emotions. And then you sort of get to see that he's this really effed up individual who can't process his own emotions, and so he makes TV shows to sort of get through it. And I really like seeing that kind of stuff. I think it's always interesting. But it was also cool to see a podcast out there touching people's lives. Like he had people coming up and telling him how much it meant to them that he made harm in town and talked about all the things he did talk about. And it made me feel proud to be a part of, of the podcast community. I hope that our show has done something like that for somebody. Like we've exposed people to new literature or something at minimum. For sure, yeah. So, yeah, watch Harmontown and then get into podcasting.
0: <laughs> I feel like those are some, some quality one things, guys. Nice.
1: And as the music fades into the background, I think Luke has a book review for us. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. So I've talked about uh Brian Keene and Stephen Shrewsbury's book King of the Bastards over the past couple of weeks uh or or the past couple of recordings over over a matter of weeks. Uh, I finished it just a just a little bit back uh a, a few days before we were recording this. And you know, it's a fun ride. That's what I'll say. <laughs> I was telling <laughs> the guys before we started recording that the end of this book just goes i want to say off the rails maybe it jumps the shark i guess it's a matter of your perspective uh but just to uh if this is your first time listening to the chromecast i'll go ahead and mention it this is a book published by apex publications which is based here in lexington kentucky uh it it publishes a lot of genre materials uh you know most n- noteworthy of which is is apex Ma- magazine a, a long running speculative fiction magazine uh, This is one of the fiction titles that just came out recently, and it 's written in the vein of a classic sort of Conan yarn, except it 's about uh, Rogan, the king of the bastards and this guy he 's old he 's surly he is uh, off on an adventure he he turned the f- throne over to one of his family members and he went he headed west out across the oceans and Uh, In doing that, of course, he gets into hijinks. Now, this book goes all kinds of crazy. It just, you know, there's flavors of Howard in this. There's flavors of of Lovecraft. There's flavors of all kinds of pulp writers that are pulled into this. I will say, though, that the end of the book didn't necessarily grab me. I know with our last recording, I was giving it very glowing reviews uh, through the midway of the book. But by the end, it just, it takes some turns that I don't know if uh if it's as fine tuned as Brian Keane's other book that recently came out, The Lost Level. I think I'm actually gonna say that I like the Lost Level uh a bit more than this one, just in terms of overall delivery. And I think maybe that's because the Lost Level was kind of uh, uh everything but the kitchen sink in the in the mixing bowl getting spun around to begin with, whereas this book kinda throws the the crazy ass stuff in towards the, the latter latter portion of the book so it's a little bit unexpected uh but all in all if you like the the sword and sorcery tough guys and gals fighting against the big bad guys uh check this book out you know it is it is a fun ride and at 160 pages it's something that you can rip through in a in a uh, just a matter of a few hours. So so check it out. If you guys are interested in purchasing this book, you can use promo code cromcast C R O M C A S T. That's all in capital letters uh, when you buy it from Apex Publications and you get 50% off. You know, we're not really getting anything out of this gig, but we want to support local and, and small press publications of a lot of these cool speculative fiction titles uh and so you know we're making a habit of reviewing these materials uh to hopefully get more people reading a lot of the contemporary work that's being published
1: that's right do it do we now that's how we do new business here on the cromcast let's put on our philosophical barbarian hats and get to talking about the story
0: and go for a ride
1: yeah so we're talking about the Shadow Kingdom, a story that has a claim to be the first sword and sorcery tale, as we've talked about. It was published in August of 1929 in the greatest magazine ever known to man. Viet weird tales. tales. Sorry, yeah. I jumped in. I'm sorry. Weird oh, tales.
0: <laughs> These tales are so weird.
1: So, Josh, where do we open up at in this story?
2: Um, we open up with uh, King Cole sitting on the back of a horse, watching uh, the army parade by in the kingdom of
0: Valusia. Valusia. Yeah. That's how I said it. Valusia. 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 I don't know
2: why I'm saying it like that. I'm sorry. I like the way Josh says it better. And Cole is thinking about the fact that, hey, you've got to keep your, your army's like a sword, right? You've got to take it out and sharpen it and wield it
0: every now and then. It's kind of a cinematic opening here. Yeah. We get like the marching army sort of flowing through and King Cole is regal taking it all in I, I, it just really struck me as a grand opening to this story
2: yeah and it tells you something about the kingdom right it's wealthy it's powerful and and Cole is the leader of this this large powerful nation
1: and it's interesting to me that we open on two of the two barbaric characters that howard's best known for and they're both kings when we first meet them conan and uh the phoenix on the sword and then in the shadow kingdom the same for Cole.
2: Yeah, and that that brings me to a question I want to ask you guys, but I'll save it to the end.
0: So we have Cole. Uh, he's taking in the army that's coming, coming together, uh, and there's uh, some sort of uh, royal activities going on that night, right? And he's approached by by a Pictish ambassador. Is that right? Like is, is it evening time or is he just sort of holding court in the afternoon? Yeah, I
2: think it's later that day and he's holding court and he's listening to people and he's reflecting and he's thinking about, you know, the, the murmurings of, of the people who have been against him, like the, the mercenaries when they went by in the parade, they, they sort of just stared cold down. And, and so cold knows that not everyone is cool with him and, and that there are dangers lurking, uh, on the throne.
1: It's took- cool that we get to see him on his coronation day, though. He's just taken over this nation that he's not really a part of. Cole is an Atlantean, so he's from an island off this main continent that we're on, where the kingdom of Valusia is, and he has somehow triumphed over one of these ancient kingdoms that's a part of the seven empires, or the seven kingdoms.
0: Yeah, so this is a much older age, right? So we're getting references to the, uh, the prehistory and the Conan stories here. Uh, so we have Atlantis, which is that sort of, at least in the maps that I've seen, sort of a western isle off of the coast of all of these these grand kingdoms. And Volusia is the richest and, and most powerful. And Velusia has been around for, for eons, right?
1: Yeah, yeah nobody seemed, knows when it began.
2: Yeah, it's, it's as ancient as the earth to ask anyone who lived there.
1: And, yeah, and it, so we're like living it up in the Thurian age is what Howard calls it yeah and then and, to Conan, it would be the pre cataclysmic age and and I don't
0: know if we really see like the 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 senescence or the decline of the Volusian uh, peoples, but I definitely got sort of a decline of the Roman Republic feel here, maybe some of the flavor that maybe creeps into some of the uh some of the Conan stories about the uh, the decadence of the Volusians and maybe that's just the lens through we see it with with Cole being this this barbarian king that that has these these frumpy people that he's you know ruling over mm-hmm. but but at least that's how it's striking me at least here at the outset I think if you go and read
2: the Elric novels by Michael Moorcock um, the very first Elric book the first time we meet him he's on his throne and he's holding court and I guess there's sort of a a dance or something going on and people are partying and hanging out and he's reflecting on how, how crappy that all these people are. Right. Like how, yeah. yeah. So I think it's a, it's a, it's a good trope yeah. within the sword and sorcery genre. And, that and these,
0: perhaps this is like the start of it. If this, if this really is like, you know, the, one of the first sword and sorcery uh, stories that we
2: have, I would think so. I, you know, I, I could see Moorcock taking that thread you know and and running with it, Elric is supposed to be the anti Conan as we've mm-hmm. talked about before, and probably even the anti cull because he's not a muscular barbarian. he's a very uh weak, very small, kind of evil dude, very right. selfish right so
0: and this I guess talking that through though perhaps this seems like an also like a very Shakespearean kind of trope, like a like a Hamlet kind of kind of perspective here too, like the the jaded uh uh wise beyond their years, young young leader who who can see things a bit more clearly than the, the people that he's, that he's ruling over.
1: But it's not just perception, it's also kind of reality. If you're reading the Delray copy, you'll have the introduction by Steve Tompkins, and he, he talks in there about, there's a direct quote that I'm going to use that he says, by the time that Picts and Atlanteans achieve awareness in this Thurian age, Dusk has already sort of draped the seven empires. Oh, okay. is already sort of in its in its waning phase, it's already on the way out the door. And he talks in his introduction about there's never an outright reference to the coming cataclysm, but that there are these little nuggets of maybe they know that things are about to come to an end in this terrible, terrible way where the world that they live in will be washed away. Nice, nice. So,
0: so that's in the Delray copy? Is that right, John?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you read the introduction before you get into this first story, okay. Steve Tompkins wrote a really good introduction to the book.
0: Cool. Uh, how did you read it, Josh?
1: I read it on uh, the Kindle. So,
0: okay. Um,
2: I, I did read the Del Rey Kindle edition, but I did uh, not read the the introduction. Okay. And you have a different copy.
0: Yeah, I read it in the uh, like the Delphi Works of Robert E. Howard. It's a uh, sort of one of those two dollar mass mass uh, sort of accumulations of a lot of the the public domain. Uh, Robert E. Howard stories and they do that for a lot of different public domain sort of authoritative authors so that's how I read it but it had like the, the picture like the, the images from from the initial publication and in weird tales but no front matter you just sort of jump right in
2: Yeah. so Cull is holding court and a uh, Pictish messenger arrives and he says that Kanu the ancient ambassador of the western isles would like to have wine and words with you, essentially.
0: <laughs> I like the way you put that. That's yeah. nice. It's nice.
2: It's, it's, it's a pretty cool scene. Cole is thinking about how the Picts and the Atlanteans and the Volusians and all these peoples really kind of hate each other and the irony of this, this Pictish warrior coming before Cole to ask him to join this other Pict. And, yeah. and parlay.
0: You get a little bit of verbal sparring that plays out here. Conan, or not Conan. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Oops, sorry. Cole likes to to take some jabs at, at this fellow, as we see. Yeah.
1: And the Atlanteans in the picks, they're really sort of mortal enemies. They're both off the edge of this Thurian continent. It seems like they fight each other a lot. But we see sort of a weird version of Howard's picks here in that they are the defenders of Velusia. They are an ally of civilization, and they sort of serve as the defense mechanism for this ancient kingdom, which is sort of weird considering in all the other stories we read, they're the the defilers of civilization or savages and, and wild people. Sure, if you compare the Picts here to
2: the Picts from beyond the Black River, it's pretty different.
1: Which I guess,
0: that long within their history, they they've grown decadent as well, right? You see sort of the decline of that civilization, at least through... Through Howard's writing.
2: Absolutely. Um, but the picks here don't necessarily have the they, they don't have the best interest of the kingdom at heart. They're not doing this altruistically, right? They're doing it to gain allies and to gain influence and power. They're playing the Game of Thrones.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and the this fellow, this that that is being that that Cole is being invited to speak to, Canoe, he's He's an ace character, man. Like his his presentation is just solid here. Yeah,
2: he's fantastic. So the the messenger the picked says to Cole, "Let's speak alone. There's some other things that we need to talk about, and you need to come to this meeting by yourself."
0: <laughs> and Cole, because he's because he's a badass, agrees to it. Right? Yeah. In, in, in as much he, but he first sort of gets a sort of a one on one challenge laid out. I I don't know. I took that to kind of be like worth his while and to sort of bait this character who we later find out to be important into, into some sort of confrontation.
2: Yeah. We don't know this
1: character's name yet, but he does become a main, a main player. And then after this guy, this picked leaves, we see Cole in his philosophical brooding stage that we've heard so much about, uh, through the internet and through our friends. This guy is like trying to figure out who he is, who, who is this guy that's sitting on a throne is he really still Cull? What did you guys think of this this scene
0: I love it I I've, I've got a I've got a soft spot for the the existential anti-hero so like much the same as Elric we get that kind of kind of here like uh you know what does all of this mean have have I have I betrayed myself all of that wrapped up I think makes for a really compelling uh, protagonist I think
2: here we get some shades of Conan and his unrest when he realizes that the throne room is a trap and he can't go adventuring with his friends like he used to he can't go fight the battles because he's the king he's got to send other people out cole is thinking about that but it's it's more introspective it's more why is this why why am i feeling this way and conan is i feel this way and that sucks he's very reactive whereas cole is more philosophical i think yeah
1: I, i think that you're onto something there like conan he misses the fun Cole really almost seems to think he has betrayed his base nature, his his true self, by ascending this high. Is this really him? Why did he do this to himself, sort of?
0: Yeah, he says here, uh, he's thinking to himself, Sometimes it seemed to Cole that he moved in a dream. Strange to him were the intrigues of court and palace army and people. All was like a masquerade, where men and women hid their real thoughts with a smooth mask. Yet the seizing of the throne had been easy—a bold snatching opportunity in the swift whirl of swords, the slaying of a tyrant to whom the people had wearied unto death, short, crafty plotting with ambitious statesmen out of favor at court, and Cole, wandering adventurer, Atlantean exile, had swept up to the dizzying heights of his dreams. He was Lord of Valusia, King of Kings. Yet now it seemed that the seizing was far easier than the keeping. It's heavy things, man. Heavy as the crown on on King Cole.
1: Absolutely. And but so he comes to a pretty strong conclusion that he is Cole, and he's going to stay that way. <laughs> that's right. I am Cole. I am Cole. But we get our first sense of dread here, right? He is—he's so self-confident he doesn't notice that there's some tapestries drifting and moving slightly in his room. <laughs> so we know that something is up already. I didn't
2: even really think much of
1: that.
0: Oh, I totally thought that you could see like a little tiptoe, like sticking out of the the bottom of the tapestry. That's that's totally what I thought. <laughs> that there was somebody back there or something
2: yeah listening to him
1: rant about who he is (laughs) like the king is losing it (laughs) (laughs) but cole he's got cojones so he goes to meet canoe and alone as was as per the request and canoe i think luke said is this really cool character he's this statesman he looks really soft but he's got a mind as sharp as a diamond wouldn't you say josh i would say so yeah he's an older man
2: and unlike the Picts that we know from other stories, this guy seems to be very comfortable with the trappings of of civilization and society. He's he's cool with laying back in the lap of luxury. He's not the same as the Picts that we know from the Conan stories.
0: Yeah, I kind of saw it as like if Cole acquiesced to this lifestyle and, and wanted to play the Game of Thrones, like he would become Canoe. Like this is a fellow that. That was obviously uh, uh, a barbarian in his earlier days, but really he's ascended uh, that mentality. He's not just a warrior; he's he's truly a diplomat, a mover and a shaker, someone that that is is shaping kingdoms. That's kind of how it struck me, and he's and he's comfortable with that. He likes all of the the extras that come along with that, but he's still got a, a mind like a steel trap. So we get a little bit of fun playing out here. We have a. Uh, some women, some wine, some, some moving about, uh, and Cole, he's, he's a little bit of a Debbie Downer here. He's, he's not wanting to, to really get into the mood quite as much as Canoe. Uh, but, uh, after Canoe gives some, some choice words of, of wisdom about, you know, you got to party a little bit and then we'll talk business. Uh, business actually happens. Canoe says, you know, be gone. It's time, it's time for the, you know, for the bosses to have a word and canu says
2: you are a mighty king and you could be the greatest king in history you could unite ancient enemies and lead a kingdom that is more glorious than any kingdom we've ever seen before on this earth if you live and of course that last part you know your your ears perk up and and your uh, <laughs> your your cockles kind of stand up and you go wait what do you mean if i live and that's what calls like ha Ha! So he goes for his gun. <laughs> well, he thinks that's a threat, right? He's, he's like, you know, this is where they're going to jump me, but th- it's not where they're going to jump in.
0: I like that Canoe says, tush, tush, like tush, tush. Uh, multiple times. He's like, simmer down, simmer down.
1: Tush. <laughs> in Be my se- mind, he sounded like an old Kentucky colonel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? <Yeah. laughs> Be seated. Look about seated. you, boy. Look about you.
2: The gardens <laughs> are deserted. The seat's empty. Save ourselves. You fear not me, surely. <laughs> exactly.
0: That's good.
2: I'm gonna think of
0: canoe in those terms from here good. out. <laughs>
2: and canoe s- understands cull because they're both. They have these barbaric roots, you know. And and Canu points out, there's the savage in you. There it is. You you think immediately that I'm gonna threaten you here now. But really, this is a brilliant piece of statescraft on my part. Just, just <laughs> hang on and hear me out.
1: And he starts talking about like how they can sort of work together, and he he wants to work with Cole because the next option is this guy named Canoe Baron of Blau, who Canoe quickly dismisses and says he's a figurehead, which seems kind of weird to Cole because he knows this guy as an enemy, as his greatest challenger to the throne, and so we're starting to get the seeds of this coming conflict. Why is this guy a figurehead? And in order to get Cole's trust, Canoe whips out a stolen gem, the green jewel from the Temple of the Serpent. And why are you showing this to me? And we sort of get this, okay, I'm, I'm showing you because now you have the power over me. You can throw me in jail for this. So now we should trust each other, right? Right. And I'm going to send a guy
2: your way and you'll know it's him because he's going to wear this. And when I read that part, I I didn't really think anything of it like he's going to be a picked, right? Like Cole is going to know a pictish person versus a velusian person, I guess. And so I didn't really get why the wearing of the amulet or whatever, the the gem was important, but it does turn out to be important later.
1: So now Cole is He's dismissed. He's gonna ride back to to his his hometown, new hometown, and it just happens to be with the pick from earlier that he had a verbal sparring match with, which doesn't seem to sit too well with him. It's
0: Brule the Spear Slayer, right? That's,
2: that's right. Yeah. We we don't quite learn his name just yet, but it's the same guy that brought him here.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. I I was thinking that Canoe introduced his name at some point in their discussion, but, but yeah. Okay. You're, you're right. But that's, that's the fellow. It's the same guy that he met.
2: Exactly. The previous time. There's no need to be obtuse about it. Like this, this guy is Brule and he's the same, he's the same emissary that met with Cull during the, uh, during court. And I loved, this is my favorite part of the story. I think this, this section just before the end of chapter two, where he's riding back to uh Fallujah.
0: I I agree man. This is this is gold right here.
2: And so Cole's riding through these these uh canyons and seeing the s- towers and streets and seeing the landscape and and seeing the kingdom, I guess, for for what it is. And he's to him th- and this reminded me a lot of Solomon Cain, when Africa was speaking in his mind. Here Valusia is speaking to cull and it's saying you are so young and you're so small and you're so insignificant do you know how many kings we've seen come through here who do you think you are you're cull the the king no you're cull the fool and i love that i love it because this is all internal this is cull parsing things out and and we see some weakness here
0: right yeah it's it's almost a touch of, of of cosmic despair in the in the vein of like cosmic horror he's He's realizing he's yet, yet one man within the, the millennia of this civilization.
2: Glow, moon, you light a king's way. Gleam, stars, <laughs> you are torches in the train of an emperor. And clang, silver-shod hoofs, you herald that coal rides through Volusia. It's, it's incredible. It, I, I think that this section might be one of my favorite things that Howard wrote that we've read so far.
0: And we've got here, and so in the brooding moon. Cole came to the palace, <laughs> like it's just it's it's just like dripping with this with this existential despair and 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 thoughts that are in this 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 king's mind.
1: Yeah, he's way in his own head, and he can't sleep because of it. So he stays up all night trying to figure out what does Canoe hope to gain from telling him about the gym? Like, what is what's going on here? Who's this brutal fella? What is going to come of all this? And when he goes out to meet Brule the next day, who steps out but that same darn picked. That's right. Who has bedeviled him so far. And he's got the dragon armlet on to show that he's for real. Yeah. This- so they they sort of talk a little bit and they repeat a phrase to one another. Josh, how does that one go? I, I can't say it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Kanamaka Lajarama. Dude, you're... You're one of it's them.
0: Not because of that. <laughs> <laughs> uh
2: Ka Nama Ka Lajerma. La no, I can't that's no, I can't say it.
0: Ka Nama Ka jirama. Oh, we, that's good. We all have to say it. Okay. Just to prove we are who we are. And
2: we're not serpent men. But <laughs> well, we don't know I why am, he's saying this. I am this who point. I am. You are. You are you are Luke.
0: <laughs>
1: and I am Josh. Um I really Just love stir something in Cole's brain, but he doesn't know why he knows it. Yeah, and I and I love
2: the fact that you don't really get why Brule is saying this. And I guess I need to apologize, Luke. We do get Brule's name earlier, but it's not in the context of this is Brule this is and he's guy. coming. Exactly. It's Brule will come wearing this. Yeah. yeah. So I had my wires
0: crossed. No, it's cool, dude. <laughs> we we have this term that's brought up. And it, it's vaguely familiar to Cole He's, He says, ooh, that strikes a chord I don't know where I've heard that But it sort of uh, hits me down in my cockles
2: Yeah, down, in, down into my plums <laughs> Down in <to> my
0: plums <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, And he Cole kind of waves it off And Brule's like, well, okay You didn't run screaming from the room Or something So we're cool And Cole is surprised that no one caught Brule sneaking in and, and Brule much like the other barbarians that we meet in Howard's fiction. He's like, you know, these people are blind. They're civilized and they're weak and they're never going to hear me. Of course not. I'm the knight. I'm, I'm Batman.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's a ninja. But Brule is having a bit of fun with Cole. It seems in this time, he's, he's a bit obtuse about what's really going on here. He's sort of showing off, showing that he snuck in, he knows the secret passage and, He's telling the king what to do because Canu said that Cole had to listen to everything Brule said.
2: That's right. And Brule shows Cole, as you said, a secret passage, and he's like, "Look, you've just like Canu said, you've got to listen to me. Follow me down the secret passage. Don't say anything."
1: And And Cole has said that he has eighteen Red Slayers, which is a great palace guard's name, uh, standing outside his door. And now they go down this passage and they find eighteen guardsmen. Whereas they already saw the guardsmen standing outside of his door. So there's something weird afoot. Yeah. And
2: Cull recognizes them. He sees their faces and he knows that that's the guards that he thought were outside his room.
1: And then we get a bit of a Voldemort thing going on here, right, Josh? <laughs> a Voldemort thing. The snake that speaks. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, we don't say his name. That, de- that is death to speak. That is a name that is accursed. Do you
2: think that the snake that speaks will come back in future Cull stories?
1: Not only Cole stories, but I think it will come back in Conan stories as well. Okay.
0: Yeah, yeah. I th- I think this is these this is the emergence of a really cool sword and sorcery trope. These these sor- these uh these sorceress like snake people that we see here. It's it's really it's pretty awesome. And so now the cover of my Dark Horse Savage sort of Cole makes a whole lot more sense in in, in the context because we have like Cole fighting. A big, a big snake man, and and it really—I don't know if this is uh, a big bad that's going to pop up in the other Cole stories, but I like the fact that we have the emergence of this this evil caliphate of of do uh, don't know—snake dudes, snake
2: people, yeah, <laughs> running
0: the world. It's it's great.
2: Not only that, but temples of the snake god are found in far-flung future ages, right?
1: Right. The the Hyborian Age. And we find out that these snake people have been powerful for a long time because the lands of men were not always ruled by men. There's a legend amongst the Atlanteans and the Picts about how Velusia may have actually been founded by these weird snake people, and the people rose up and took the land from them, and they sort of scattered into the four winds, and have been hiding amongst us ever since, and it seems that they have come back with a vengeance, and they're here to sort of take over Cole. Yeah, so
0: so we see this this weird issue where the the men that were alive are dead through the through the keyhole or the porthole that that Cole and, and Brule are looking through. So they run back to the main room. They look through. Everybody is is back there, right? Like there's there's people standing. So. So we know that there's, there's danger afoot, right?
2: Yeah, and just then, someone comes through the door, and it's two, chief counselor of the king, and he's got a knife in his hand.
1: And he's there to kill Cole. So they, they jump him, and they stab him, and this hideous transformation goes through in front of their eyes. This guy's face melts away, and he turns into this hideous, monstrous, serpent-headed beast, which makes Cole gasp. And he says, Valka, uh, which appears to be the god at this time of the world. And they're just horrified to see this nasty thing before them. And this is where you get the idea that the conspiracy is all around them. Yeah. So he's a man, but he's got the head of a serpent. And Cole says that he's going to kill them all. He doesn't have any problem with it.
2: (laughs) Yeah. He's going to, if the old legends are true and, and he knows... That this is no fantasy, this is reality, and he knows what the serpent people are capable of, and that they want nothing but to kill all of the, the Volusians and take back their kingdom, then Cole's going to do what it takes.
1: And we start to find out that the reason that ringlet is, or the armlet is important is because no snake man can wear it, and we find that Kanama, Ka, Lajarama is a phrase that they cannot repeat. So there are some cool bits and pieces of magic throughout this tale. You didn't say the whole thing. What? ma ka lajerama. That's what I said. Kanama ka lajerama. <laughs> okay.
2: <laughs> I'm paranoid that one of you is a snake man. You
1: refused to say it. Uh, well, I can't.
0: I like that there was a world, you know, before uh before the dawn of man that was ruled by Harpies and werewolves, and reptilian monsters. This is this is elder gods, but in a in a more familiar sort of mythological kind of kind of situation here.
1: Or, or and a, the reason they can't wear a dragon thing is because the flying dragon, the winged dinosaur, was their natural enemy. It sounds like biocontrol for the serpent men. <laughs> That's a good point. I didn't think about that. And they've just been coming for years and years. There's this big conspiracy. Of them trying to infiltrate government and take over things, and they can use subterfuge and transformations and magic. And we get all of this sort of exposition from the picked Brule. Yep. And so Brule takes the
2: body of the serpent man out of the room and runs him down the hallway, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, stashes him away.
2: And Cole's there waiting in the room, and Brule comes back pretty quickly, pretty rapidly. And Cole but points out, yeah. Cole points out, hey, you were pretty fast, and <laughs> and Brule said, yeah, I, I know. There's gore on the, on the rug. Look down. Look at the rug, and Cole falls for it. Right? He's it's like the classic your shoes are untied prank. And uh, luckily, though, Cole catches the guy, run, kind of pulling his dagger out, and it's a, another Snake Man.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh so, no! So Cole s- slays, uh, faux Brule here. I like that Cole is he's not gullible. He's just more more the everyman in a lot of this. He's not I, I don't know, I would have to think back to how Conan sort of performed in a lot of the earlier stories. But it seems like Cole is is much more uh practically sort of displayed here. Like he he makes mistakes and 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 he's he's lost a little bit of the fighting his fighting prowess. Uh, and so, you know, he's he's not someone that's just invincible He doesn't have that uh, sort of all-knowing, always-kicking-ass Conan vibe to me right here
2: I agree, and I think it stands to reason At this point, he's been awake for a long time right. at, at least 24 hours, I guess, or so, without sleep
0: And you're right, that's that's mentioned, too Like, he's he's running on fumes uh, He's kind of a superman for being able to go as long as he has, too
1: For sure So he follows Brule into the hidden passageway so they can get rid of a second Brule snake Brule, and they're going to go dump this body. And we get this weird ghost moment where they see another shadowy form and this ghost floats past them. And it turns out to be Elial King of Valusia, who died a thousand years ago, who was apparently killed by the snake men. And now his ghost does their bidding and has done so for a thousand years, which sounds pretty shitty.
2: Yeah, it's pretty terrible, but, I didn't, you know, I didn't get the idea that the snake men were using ghosts as slaves. Even though it sort of sounds that way, it it just sounds to me like once a snake man kills you, you you can't go on to Valhalla
1: or whatever. Like you're yeah. you're stuck on Earth. You don't like the idea of ghost servants for snake people. I, I you know. What kind of occultist are you? That's
0: a, that's a bridge too far, John. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> too far. <laughs> that's just, just unbelievable. It. <laughs> uh, no, it just—it's
2: not that it was unbelievable, and it's not that I didn't like it. It's just that it didn't seem. If the K- ghost of the king, the former king, really was serving the serpent people, what did he do?
1: You know, what did they use him that, for? I think that you bring up a good point. I mean, they're kind of grasping at straws. They don't really know the whole story of the Snake Man consp- conspiracy. So maybe they're. They see a ghost and they just plug it in, right? I, I can see what you're saying,
2: and you know it could be that you know obviously these snake men have some sort of illusionary powers, and they can shapeshift or at least make you think that they're someone else. Maybe they can enslave your spirit after you die if they kill you, or maybe that is just hearsay. You know,
1: but no matter what we think, Cole and Brew will believe it to be true. And this is where their friendship is cemented. They make this blood pact kill this, one another.
0: This is like an epic uh, best friend moment right here.
2: Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's, it's, bro, if, if a serpent man kills me, it looks like they're going to kill me. You need to kill me first.
0: <laughs> and I'll do the same. And
2: I'll do the same. That's how we roll.
0: Their strong right hands met in a silent sealing of their bloody bargain. And that's how chapter three ends. That's right.
2: And we go right into chapter four: masks.
0: I see sort of a, a a running theme. Yeah, here I bet we'll talk about that.
2: I bet we will. <laughs> um, and so Cole and and Brühl stay up all night, and they're you know they're just watching, waiting. Nothing happens. The serpent men let them let them go for the night. And the really cool thing here is the serpent men have time on their side. You know, they, they can become anybody. They can strike at any moment. They could wait until, they were, until Brule and Cull were complacent. And that's a pretty terrifying thought. So Cull goes to the throne room the next day, and he's with his small council and, and l- looking at them and listening to them, right? He's sort of just daydreaming. And this is another deep philosophical moment.
0: Yeah, things are getting real weird. For Cole because he hasn't slept he's been in his own head for way too long oh yeah he had to kill his buddy Brule, but he found out Brule wasn't Brule, and then they took a, a buddy oath mm-hmm. and at this point he's just he doesn't know who to trust or, or what's going on here uh, but it's time to sort of hold counsel yeah with with many of his like closest uh, uh, like congressmen I guess for like a better yeah. word right
2: well yeah like the 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 council, the, the council, the master of coin, right? right. The, the, the spy master, all, you know, whoever these people are. And while he's sitting there, he's, he's thinking, you know, who am I? I've, I've been many people, that sort of thing. What, how many masks have I worn? How many masks will I wear? Who will I be in 10 years? Like Cole really does sort of get into his own head and stay there.
0: For Cole knew that there were many calls and he wondered which was the real cole.
2: <laughs> yeah, so he's kind of reneged on the I am Cole <laughs> from a few moments ago, right?
0: I'm a lot of things.
2: Yeah, I'm more than just Cole, but I am also Cole. And, <laughs> and he's, he's lost in his thoughts, and then he notices that all of his councilmen are standing up and they all have knives. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, pick the Brule shows up and, and tells Cole that these are all serpent men. And so they're trapped in this room with the serpent council. Hydra, I guess. Hydra, they, yeah. They uh, <laughs> they they get to kill him. They just sort of cut all these people down. Cole gets cut up a bunch. It's just this bloodbath, but ultimately Cole and Bruel are triumphant over the snake council.
0: Seventeen of them, seventeen conciliars they were, all known to him. All of them had espoused his cause when he ascended the throne. And so, so
1: at this point they realize, wait, if where are we? and they realize they're in this room that the king, the ghost they saw had died in. That's this cursed room that the snake men use. And so they wonder where are the real counselors? And they run out and they find that they're in the actual uh, council chamber and they're being led in discussion by Cole. Cole. Yeah. (laughs) So this,
2: this has to be a, a real mind trip for Cole because he's, he was convinced that he was Cole and now he's not so sure that he's Cole. And now he's looking at Cole so what what the heck? Am I Cole? Is he Cole? <laughs> this is insanity, he whispered. <laughs> am I Cole? Do I stand here? Or is that Cole yonder in very truth and I am but a shadow, a figment of thought. And Brule's like, Get a hold of yourself, man. <laughs> 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 We've got a snake man here. The snake man situation. There's snake killing to be done. That's right. And so it's- I love the thought of of these council. People, right? These, these uh, uh, nobles in this room with who they think is King Cull, and then the door busts open and King Cull runs in with a sword and kills King Cull, <laughs> who then turns into a snake. Yeah. I, I just, I love the, the idea of it. I want to see it on film. Like, this uh-huh. this would be a really, really cool movie I think or at least a really cool scene.
0: So did you guys read the the Marvel comics adaptation of this?
2: I didn't I don't have it actually. I don't have it. I don't either.
0: So I I read that. It's in the it's in the Savage Sword of call volume one. And for that scene it's really it's really pretty rad. Uh, the the reprint of, of this story there is that scene where you have Cole versus Cole. (laughs) You have real Cole versus faux Cole and faux Cole has like a, a a snake in the background and he's dressed up like a king. The the king, that is, he's pretending to be the king and then the, the real Cole looks barbaric and there's a badass like tiger (laughs) coming in and it's just great how they were able to uh, sort of present the real Cole versus the, the fake one through the, the, the two different sort of animal presentations there in the background and and the the Severins did just an awesome job playing that out and in, in, in the old school Marvel comics
2: and so Cole kills fake Cole turns into a uh, snake Cole takes that body and has the council follow him back to the accursed room and shows them all the snake people and <laughs> and is like this is pretty crazy right and he throws snake cull in the room. All these dead snake people are in there. And then he uses his own sword to bar the door. And at that point, he's just run out of, out of steam. But before he runs out of steam, he says, I swear that I shall hunt the serpent men from land to land, from sea to sea, giving no rest until all be slain, that good triumph and the power of hell be broken. This thing I swear, I, cull, king of Volusia. So his his crisis of of uh, identity identity yeah, his identity crisis is yeah. now I guess hopefully done
0: and he's, he's gained a favorite enemy that's what I read this I thought of <laughs> yes. I thought of Dungeons and Dragons references I'm like <laughs> all right well Cole he's got a he's got a uh, hate right. on for some for some that's lizard right. men
1: <laughs> plus one against all serpent people <laughs> but right. at this point he passes out from bl- blood loss and lack of sleep everybody thinks he's dead and brutal. Is like pfft, dead. Such a man as this cannot so easily be killed. Lack of sleep and loss of blood have weakened him. By Volka he has a score of deep wounds, but none of them are mortal. Yeah, have those gibbering fools bring the court women here at once. And then says, "This is a this is a man. Like this is the guy. He is going to be the king forever, and Velusia will prosper under his reign."
2: Yeah, what what a man! He's going to be back in the saddle in just a couple of days, and then the serpent people are going to be scared. By golly, I. I tell you what, one of these days, Cole's going to go out there and he's going to hunt every one of them snake people down. Tell you what. Was Brule from what the, the Kentucky Colonel? That was Kanu.
1: Yeah. That was Kanu, but okay.
0: it, it would make sense that Brule would have a, it, have a touch. It stands to reason. Yeah.
1: Maybe the picks are Kentuckians. <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> Maybe. So, anyway, that was
2: the end of The Shadow Kingdom.
0: It was fun. I, Pretty I, dope story. I liked it. It was a lot of fun.
2: When I read this, I knew that you would like it, Luke, as, as soon as I read it.
0: Yeah, I like the, the the heavy thoughts that were running through Cole's head, but there was still a lot of ass kicking that played out.
1: You guys are like Cole and Brule. Us too? Yeah, you just know each other. <laughs> <laughs> we right, got a,
0: a bromance. <laughs> Dude, we're a trinity. Yeah, that's Noth- right. Nothing will break that.
1: I'm just, just a ghost King ghost <laughs>
2: <laughs> So We liked this story The question that I wanted to ask earlier And then I held off until now Because I think it will Sort of Take the conversation a little, a little bit Away from Cole Is Is Cole A Prototype for Conan Or is Cole I guess intrinsically His own character is he more than just? Is he Cole? That's that's a great question. Is he Cole or is he Proto Conan?
0: That's meta. That's good, dude. I like the way you frame that. Just off the cuff, I would say that what we see here, and I haven't I haven't thought too much about comparing Cole to Conan, but I think what we're seeing is that this Cole fellow, he's a different animal. There's there's a lot of the same tropes and presentation of a barbarian here, but the two have different mindsets.
1: I w- I would say sort of the same that. Cole is a proto-Conan in as much as he builds a playground that Conan can later play on. This sword and sorcery sort of trope that we discussed earlier, how this may be the, first, the very first story of that trope, or at least the American version of it. So I think he's important in terms of the genesis of Conan for that. But yes, I would agree. He is a very different character. Perhaps more true to how Howard really wanted to write uh, I think that Steve Tompkins makes that argument that this is a character truer to Howard's heart, the more introspective, brooding kind of character. But I don't think I would ever cut him so short as to say he's just Conan draft one.
0: I guess I would be interested to see how Cole's disposition is presented in the the, the second and third story that we're going to read. Uh, but But here... Cole seems a more relatable character in terms of Conan is an outsider he's led lots of lives he doesn't think too hard about things, and clearly Cole thinks about things a lot <laughs> right i mean conan conan's not as not a not a dumb dude as we've talked about like you first see him as a king looking over a map and writing the guy is is a strategist and, and a very a very smart protagonist that's presented on the page, but he's, he's not a character that I think asks himself lots of rhetorical questions where he thinks around in circles, whereas it's clear in this story, from what we 've seen, Cole does that to no end.
2: Yeah, so I keep th- going back to the the quote from Queen of the Black Coast, where Conan is talking about the gods. And clearly Conan believes in the gods, but he ends up saying, "I live, I burn with life, I slay. That's and that's good enough for me, and so I'm content." And Cole, it seems, is more: Why am I content? Like, why do I slay, and why do I like it, and why is it cool, and why am I Cole? And and those things, even though we've only read one Cole story so far, really kind of endear me and dear Cole to me. He's a he's a different enough character from Conan that I don't I think that people who make the mistake or or have the thought that Cole is just the first draft of Conan are really missing something.
1: At least so, so far. So why would you argue that Cole never got the footing that Conan did?
2: Well, I think that Howard from what we from what we see, I think that whatever the spark was that caused Howard to write Cole and I think it from from Mark Finn's book it seems as though it took Howard a long time to write The Shadow Kingdom like over a period of a year or more and you can see the nuggets of the thoughts of of Cole in Howard's letters so I think Cole was something that was important to Howard I don't think that the fact that he didn't continue writing Cole stories reflects how he felt about the character,
0: but it took him a long time to write like this first story.
2: I think so, yeah. I okay. think, from what I understand, he wrote a draft and then put it down and then um, was living somewhere other than Cross Plains, maybe Brownsville, and came back to Cross Plains and, and then finished uh, the Shadow Kingdom. But you know, when whenever Howard got into the Conan stuff and wrote his Hyborian Age, he destroyed. Everything that came before, and I think that is is more than just a story trope. I, don't, I think it's more than just an element in the story. I think it meant something more. It's Howard putting that old character to rest. Right? It's it, he's he's no more. That that age is gone. It's past. It's destroyed. And this new era, this new age, and this new Conan this new character Conan is, is here now. And
0: he just goes full bore on that.
2: Yeah, exactly. And, and so there is something about Conan that I think struck a, uh, more of a chord with Howard. I, I don't know, you know, and I don't think anybody can know. What do you think?
1: Uh, I think that in the end, Howard was a commercial writer, right? He was trying to make a living being a writer. And it seemed that the Conan tales were bought more readily by weird tales than the tales were perhaps and so i think you see that a lot where somebody's a creative person's really favorite character the one that's near and dear to their heart isn't the one that people hit on and so i think you're on to something he had to maybe flush it away wash it away with a cataclysm in order to move into his real bread and butter character but i think Cole meant something to him yeah yeah, I think so. And
2: from what I understand, he sold this to Farnsworth Wright for a hundred dollars, and that at that's that point, substantial
0: for for these stories, right?
2: Yeah, I think at that point that was the biggest payday he had had.
0: And this is a single issue, single mm-hmm. like a single chunk.
2: Yeah, I believe so. I believe it was in the August nineteen twenty nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 19- I think that's
0: what I think. That's what John said at the outset. That's yeah, yeah. But it was it was a single issue, hundred bucks. Yeah, that's that's a big chunk of change. Yeah.
1: I think the part of this story that really stuck with me the most, and that I enjoyed the most, not only just getting to know Cole, but I think it's cool that this serpent man trope has sort of outlived Cole himself. I don't know how frequently that it appeared before in literature, but it seems like this sort of modus operandi of magical snake people that can disguise themselves this has become a thing unto itself. It's in Conan stories. It's in the Conan movie. It's in the Conan cartoon. Right, Josh? Absolutely. Your favorite childhood (laughs) pastime.
2: I actually, even though I wrote a pretty snarky blog post about the first episode of the Conan cartoon, I, I still hold it in high regard.
1: And. Uh it's also part of the Cthulhu mythos now, so, if I remember what I read correctly. Yeah, yeah.
0: This was something that was sort of adapted across a lot of different stories. I was actually going to say this is something that people think permeates real life, at least – at least crackpot some people that oh man that just yeah sort of latch on I wanted to little talk little. about this yeah. too yeah <laughs> so so there's the idea that reptilians are this this alien race and so uh, we've talked about the blurry photos podcast before but I wanted to mention it here because they do a really good episode one of their really early episodes episode 21 is about reptilians and they mention this this group a couple a couple times in other episodes but you know there's the people that really have a have a strong uh, sort of background and, and, extraterrestrial life. Like there's, there's this idea that there's this Illuminati group, this caliphate of, 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 of reptilian alien things that are really in control of everything. And that's what Howard is writing about here. It's,
1: <laughs> it's snake yeah. men. That- so David Ikes is the one that is sort of the figurehead for that movement. Okay. And he has this huge theory. He's a British <laughs> author. He's written like 20 books about the reptilian conspiracy and if you read any of it, it is off-the-wall bonkers. He thought that the, the big group of our time of these reptilians included George W. Bush and Queen Elizabeth and Chris Christofferson for some reason. <laughs> country Western star Chris Christofferson <laughs> was part of the reptilian conspiracy. And that they were the, the people that were pulling all our strings. They were the reptilians that ruled the world. And he, it's just this bonkers off-the-wall stuff. I read this really long essay about it once. And they actually pointed out in part of it that this idea's seed comes from this story. That Ike's and his followers, that their people, their reptilian people, are direct descendants of Robert E. Howard. So that may be a less positive influence that Howard had on the world, but... interesting nonetheless i just
0: love it like that there's this blending of, of fact and fiction i mean you can you can talk forever about the necronomicon and how these these mythical books and come come into the social conscience and people think that they're the real deal here we have like a mythical uh group of beings that are behind it all and here they're crossing over this is some good this is some good meat here on this the story. I mean, you have the themes of masks. You have this existential quandary of 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 King Cole here. You have this weird serpent trope that carries on. Uh I don't know. I'm I'm curious to see how stories unfold. I don't know what what either of the two Cole stories that we're going to read after this sort of play out, but given that there's only three stories, I know that this is going to be you know a relatively quick dip into the into this character's head.
2: And I know a lot of people really like Cole and the Cole stories and you know just because we're not doing the entire run of the character doesn't mean that we're going to give up on the character. Oh no. There's still some some Conan stories we need to revisit. So at some point down the road we're going to do some uh, apocryphal episodes, right? Of some unpublished Howard works, but yeah. for now we'll stick with the canonical Cole and next time move into a different story. And John, what is that story?
1: We are going to be reading. You make, you're going to try and make me say it. Yeah, I can't say that (laughs) either. It's called the mirrors of Tuzun Thun, which sounds very intriguing. You could get lost in those mirrors.
0: And then Kings in the night is the third story. But again, it's not going to come for
1: quite some time.
2: That's right. Yeah. we, We have some other people to meet along this road before we get there.
1: But until then, Josh, where can the people find us?
2: As always, you can find us on the web at http colon forward slash forward slash You can find us on Twitter at the Chromecast, facebook.com uh, slash the and you can call us 859-429-CROM. You can listen to us on iTunes. You can listen to us on Stitcher. You can listen to us with whatever podcatcher app you choose.
0: Man, you're like the, the micro machines guy.
2: I, at this point, I think I've said that about 50 times or more. Um, <laughs> we're coming we'll up definitely, on 60. Yeah, we're coming up on 60. So, yeah, I am uh, I say it every couple of weeks. But I can't say Ka La Germa Ka Nama Kalima. <laughs> I, I actually thought about uh, uh, Hellboy Anangun-Rama like his his yeah. uh, name. At any rate,
0: that's it. You've heard <laughs> it all about uh, the Shadow Kingdom and the reptilians. I don't know if they're going to come back in the next story. Uh, we're gonna find out hopefully we'll find out a little bit more about atlantis we just got little little shades of atlantis that's right this is the lost road we got to talk a little bit more about that lost world uh on the next episode but this was this was a lot of fun right here
2: yeah this was good until next time i've been josh i'm
1: john
0: and i have been luke